0: The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. We're called to love even the haters, the enemies. Peter, in the book of 1 Peter here, this is a letter he's writing to encourage believers in northern Asia Minor who are facing great persecution. They're facing very difficult circumstances. And yet they are encouraged to persevere, to keep their eyes on their heavenly inheritance and to keep fighting the good fight of faith. In other words, he's saying, don't give up. And I would challenge you today and encourage you today and say, I know the world is crazy out there, but friends, don't give up. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And in our focus text out of chapter three today, Peter gives Christians three instructions to follow on how to be loving and how to be happy in the midst of a hateful world. So let me just lay these out for you. I hope you're taking notes. I hope you got a note sheet as you came in. Number one, the first way that we are to be, we can be loving in a hateful world is this. We've got to cultivate a loving heart for God's people. We've got to cultivate a loving heart for God's people. Verse 8. This is all about, by the way, our call to love other Christians. This verse is. He says this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. One of the uh, qualifications for ministry, to be a pastor, is that you must be able to manage your home well. You have to treat your spouse well and be able to lead your spouse in the things of the Lord. Your children must be in subjection to you. Your uh, finances must be in order. Those things have to happen in order for you to qualify to be a pastor. Not that anybody is perfect in any of those areas. But you have to be able to manage your household well. And the idea is this. If I can't manage my home, how in the world can I be trusted to manage a local church? Well, it's the same principle here. Think about this. If you and I, if we cannot love one another... How in the world are we going to love even our enemies out there? So how do, how do we be loving in a hateful world? How do we have a loving spirit in a hateful world? I'll tell you, number one, it's got to begin by cultivating a love for God's people. Now, we would all say that, yeah, sure, I, I love other Christians. But that, that word love can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It's a bit ambiguous today, isn't it? So I I think Peter does a great thing by laying out what this love is supposed to look like. So the first element of this love that we're to have one for another is this. Write this down. We're to have unity of mind. Unity of mind. Now, hear me well. Warren Worsby says that unity of mind is not uniformity. It's not uniformity. It is cooperation in the midst of diversity. Listen, we are different people. We come from different backgrounds. Some of us come from different cultures. That's okay. We don't have to lose our diversity. What it means is we can be diverse people, but we're brought together by one mission. We don't have to agree on methodology when it comes to how do we do ministry. But we do need to agree on what needs to be done. We need to win the loss. We need to disciple people. You know within a biblical framework I don't know if you realize this but there is a lot of room for different preferences. There's a lot of room for just different styles of ministry. I mean different music styles, different styles of dress, different meeting times, etc. one service, two service, three service, whatever. As long as we are doing the work of the Lord and our styles again fit in within the Bible, variety is fine and I think it's actually helpful. Think about this. How many have ever noticed there's like a church on every corner in Richmond, right? I am blown away. Like, when I came to candidate at this church, I was like, they put a church in this neighborhood? And then I realized there's actually one just right down the street here, too. I about went to the wrong church, right? I mean, there are churches everywhere, everywhere. And here's what's interesting. If you could go to each of these different churches this morning and just kind of sit in, you would find, and I'm talking about the ones that are Bible-believing, evangelical, God-fearing churches. You would find what I would call a a lot of different flavors of ministry. You'd find a lot of variety, wouldn't you? Different music styles, different ways of dress, different ways they conduct their services, different times. Some have Saturday night, some early service, some late service, some just meet Sunday evenings and it's not that one of those are right or, or any of them are wrong. It just means to me that, that those unique churches are going to reach special particular demographics of people. There are, there, there are um, people that the Presbyterian church on the other side of Maine, very traditional, can reach that I might not be able to reach. And there are people that we can reach that maybe another church may not be able to reach. So I, I don't think diversity uh, within the church is a bad thing, as long as again as it fits within the Bible. And so I think it's helpful we can reach more people that way. And listen to me, even within our church, there are many different preferences. I, I realize that on the how service should be done. We all have our opinions on that. We come from different backgrounds, and it's okay. Listen to me, it's okay. If everything in this church is not done according to your preference, and hear me well or mine, because I promise you those who know me well will tell you that everything that's done in my church is not my preference. This church, if I did everything by by the book on how Pastor Chris wants to do it, our church would look a lot different right now. It would have a different feel to it. Now, I love what we have, but you know what I do? Yeah, there's some of my preferences that I want to institute and that kind of thing, but you know what? I, I talk to people and I say, and, and I talk to the Lord more importantly, Lord, what's best for this body of believers? What, what's going to work for, for these people and this community? And we have to be willing sometimes to lay our preferences aside. Are you with me? So we've got to have unity of mind. Number two, we've got to have sympathy. That's what Christian love looks like sympathy. We're sympathetic towards each other. It's like, Mr. T, I pity the fool, right? No, that's not that kind. This is, uh, that's what happens when I veer off my notes, folks. Um, This means that we feel compassion and sorrow when other Christians are hurting. Do you feel that? Listen, when my children are sick, or when they're hurting physically, emotionally, whatever, I would do anything to trade places with them, because I hurt more when they hurt than when I hurt myself. How many parents can... Attest to that. Amen. Well, you know, we are the family of God, right? And we ought to hurt when another one hurts. Like when somebody tells us they're hungry within our body, we ought to feel as if we're hungry and do whatever we can to get them food. When somebody is sick, we ought to do whatever we can to minister to that person as if it were us. I love Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. So we're to have sympathy. Number three, we're to have brotherly love. One of the uh, marks of a real follower of Jesus is a love for his or her, listen, brothers or sisters in Christ. That's just not Cute christianese phraseology brothers and sisters in christ that's how the bible speaks of us we are a family first peter you go back a couple chapters to chapter one verse 22 he says this having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere here it is again brotherly love love one another earnestly from a pure heart now watch this since you have been born again What is the motivation for this brotherly love? I'll tell you what it is. Peter tells us what it is. It's the fact that you and I aren't who we used to be, that we've been given a new name. We are a part of a new family. We are new creations in Christ. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you have faith in him, when you are saved, you become part of this global massive family. And it is a beautiful thing. So we have the Capital C Church, which is the entire body of Christ. And isn't it wonderful to know that we're part of this great, big, incredible family that's made up of all different types of people. But one thing unites us, our love for Jesus Christ and our salvation in him. Isn't that incredible? And then we have the local church. And this is a family. It's like a family within a family. All right? So we must realize we've been born again. This is our family. If you don't like it, you are not going to like heaven. All right? So you better get used to me. All right? I better get used to you because we're going to spend a lot of time together. The fourth element of Christian love is a tender heart. Don't miss this. A tender heart. We live in a world full of angry people, don't we? I mean, people are just mad for no reason. People have hardened hearts. Everywhere you go, you see this. Listen, when you have a hardened heart, your relationships at home, at church, at work, with God, they're strained. They are strained. A hardened heart is not pliable. You're not going to grow in your faith because the Lord is unable to mold it and move it. It's not pliable. A hardened heart is numb. To the needs of others. When you have a hardened heart, you'll pass by just like the, ma- the priest in the story of the Good Samaritan, you'll pass by somebody in need. A hardened heart becomes numb. Listen to me, even to the presence of God. you'll wonder, why don't I feel his presence anymore? A hardened heart will rob us of the joy that you and I are intended to have as Christians. Well how does a heart become hardened and you can write these down. This is not an exhaustive list, but number one, the most obvious way probably is sin. Sin hardens the heart. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another day every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Folks, if you are coddling sin, and you may say, well, pastor, I'm not shooting up at the end of the day. I'm not, I'm not getting drunk on the weekends. Well, are you grumbling and complaining? Because that's a sin too. And if you coddle these things, or are you lying? Or are you cheating even on your tax? You know, any, any area of life. These are sins. And these are severe. And the problem is when you coddle them and you say, oh, these aren't any big deal. They slowly and surely begin to harden your heart. It's not good. So repent today of those sins and turn to God. Number two, your heart can be hardened by your environment. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 verse worth memorizing. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals or good habits. Negative people, naysayers, grumpy folk, complainers. Friends, these are toxic people. How many have some toxic friends, some toxic co-workers, some toxic people in your pew? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) I was looking for somebody not paying attention. Just keep on raising their hand, you know. Toxic people, I mean, they will, they'll destroy you because you can't be around a toxic person for too long without being toxic yourself. It's, it's, it's so damaging. And let me say this too. I'm not just talking about friends. Be careful what you watch and listen to. I'm going to make some people mad this morning, but that's all right. My message, you got to love me anyways. Do not let the media dictate what you think and feel. I don't care if it's NBC or Fox News. They all have an agenda. Come on, somebody. Okay? I'll tell you the only time you're getting the whole story is when it lines uh, lines up with their agenda. Otherwise, you're hearing partial truth or a flat-out lie. There's always an agenda, and so many Christians are buying it. It sickens me. If you're eating a steady diet of this garbage, your heart is sure to be uh, just hardened. Republicans against Democrats. Democrats against Republicans. And, And it's not, I mean, disagreements, fine. We need to have conversations. But not in the spirit that I see. In looking at Facebook, even people in the church, Christian friends of mine, Dogging, calling the other political side idiots or fools, and all that doesn't get us anywhere. is that Christ glorifying? if you think it is you're reading a different Bible than me, and I would just say, be careful, listen, I read the Washington Post it's fairly balanced, and if there's a an article in there that's how I get my news if there's an article in there that tends to to just bash somebody or I mean. seems like it has an agenda, I put it down. I stop reading it because I will be frustrated. Lessen your time on social media. It won't hurt you at all. I promise. Change your atmosphere. All right. All right. Who's mad at me? Just raise your hand. All right. (laughs) Connor, my son, raises his hand in the (laughs) back. Number three, um, a way to a hardened heart is a lack of prayer in Bible study. This just dovetails off of where we just were because this is kind of a springboard from where we just were. Watch this. If we would turn off the TV and the social media and we get back in the Bible, we'd be a lot kinder. Can I get any help this morning? (laughs) Psalm 119, 15, the psalmist says, I'll meditate on your precepts. When's the last time you've read your Bible, much less meditate on it and fix my eyes on your ways, I will delight. You hear the joy in this? I'll delight in your statutes. So instead of, you know, putting something down, a a, a book, or or turning off the TV and feeling angry and and, and self-entitled, and listen, you put down your Bible and you feel joy. It's amazing. He says, I will not forget your word. Church, please, please, don't be a hateful people. I'm looking at some really loving people in here. Let me encourage you. Don't allow your heart to be hardened. Keep a tender heart. A hardened heart will destroy your marriage. It will absolutely destroy it. A hardened heart will destroy a church. Keep a tender heart. The fifth one is, this is the display of Christian love one to another. We've got to have humble minds. Have a humble mind. A person who is not humble will always want his or her way. This type of person feels entitled. It's all about me. Doesn't consider the needs of others. A humble person, though, will put the needs of others before his or her own. Church, let's be a humble people. It's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's about Jesus. Amen. What kind of church could we be if we just practice this? And I'm thankful to the extent that we practice this already, putting each other's needs and even preferences above one another. Wow. I, I so appreciate our praise team this morning singing I Surrender All. Um, there are, how, how many people in here, just show of hands, how many of you all appreciate the old hymns? Raise your hand. Wow. I wish we'd take a picture of that right there. It's no secret. Several people in our praise team, that's not their favorite style of song. But they sang it this morning, and they sang it well, and it bl- how, did that bless anybody this morning to hear I Surrender All? And you know what I love about that? In that moment, they're serving you, and they're laying their preferences aside and serving you. I love it. And they're serving their pastor, because I kind of like that hymn, too. I love hymns. I want to show you something before I move on. By the way, my first point is by far the longest. We're going to move very quickly um through the next ones but let me just point this out before we move on i want you to i don't know if there's any stock in this or not but i want you to look at the reverse order of this list if you start with humility watch this okay this is going to blow your mind if you'll just have a humble heart if you'll make that decision that i'm going to be humble it's not about me i'm going to humble myself before the lord watch this if i'm humble my heart will be tender that's what that's what humility is what makes cultivates a, a tender heart if my heart is tender, I will have brotherly affection for my fellow Christian. I'm going to care about them. And if I have brotherly affection, brotherly love for my fellow Christian, I will sympathize when they're hurting. And when I sympathize with my brothers and sisters, I will always put Christ first, lay aside my own preferences, and I'll cooperate. I'll have, we'll have unity of mind. Isn't that kind of neat how that works? So, How do you start loving in a hateful world? Number one, very simply, cultivate a heart for other believers. This is the way our love ought to look one towards another. Number two, how do we love in a hateful world? Remember our calling. I love this. Remember our calling. Number nine, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Somebody say bless. Come on, say it again. Bless. For this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. How many want to be blessed? Right? To quote Warren Worsby one more time, he suggests that there are three levels on which a Christian can live. Number one, we have this choice. It's not a godly choice. It's the wrong choice. But we can return evil for good. That's the satanic level. We can return good for good and evil for evil. That's the human level. Or... We can return good for evil, which is the divine level. Friends, Christ is the perfect example of this. Here we were enemies of God in our sin, under the wrath of God. And the Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ came. He died for us. He became our neighbor, as we talked about last week. Loved us. Made us one of his own. Why? Because we have done so much good? No, Out of sheer grace, sheer mercy, the Lord loved us in an amazing, miraculous way. The apex of that scene in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you and I, if we we tend to get angry, and we tend to say, I don't know if I can love this person because they've hurt me so much. Friends, just remember what Jesus has done for you. 1 Peter 2, 20 says this, same letter here. He says, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. In other words, if people are messing with you and you endure it and you keep a positive attitude, it's a gracious thing in the sight of God. Watch verse 21. For to this, here it is again, you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. So you think it's a bad idea for you to suffer for somebody else? remember what Christ has done for you. He says, leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. So when you're tempted to not bless others who would curse you, just remember what Jesus has done. I'm just following in his steps and what an honor that is. Let me ask you this. How many of you all just want to know your calling? And I don't want to know what God's called me to do. Well, here's part of it right here. Don't repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless... Bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. What an honor. What an honor. Listen, this is just not some pious, you know, dream that we're called to. This is not optional. Or that that we can just, oh, this is something that we want to aspire to be. No, this is a calling that is God-given to you and to me. We are called by the creator of all things. God Almighty, we are called to be a blessing to even those who would hurt us. What a great motivation to serve people who may be hateful and spiteful. How do you be hateful in a loving world? I'll tell you. Or how do you be loving in a hateful world? Excuse me. How can you love in such a a mean World, just remember when people treat you badly, just remember my calling. This is an opportunity. My calling is to bless that person. Somebody offends you this week, I dare you to just thank them. What are you thanking me for? Because you're you're giving me an opportunity right now to walk in my calling. Hallelujah. Number three, how do we stay loving in a hateful world? Speak and walk. In accordance with God's Word. Starting in verse 10, Peter quotes Psalm 34 here. This is drawing out further the idea of living the blessed life. Again, who wants to live the blessed life? Here it is, verse 10. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, if that's you, say amen. Okay, a few of you. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You want to be happy? You want to be loving? One of the greatest things you can do is just walk in obedience to the Lord in what you do and what you say. This is a powerful tool that will ruin or bless your life. Your tongue will ruin you or it'll bless you. Make sure your words and your actions align with what God tells you to do in his written word. And then he says here to seek peace. And I just want to challenge you. I'm not, let me say this. Every time I say something about Facebook, somebody always comes up to me without fail. It's a different person every time. Pastor, are you talking to me? (laughs) I want to say, I think the Holy Ghost might be talking to you. Listen, if, if I have an issue with you personally, I'll come to you. But this is a widespread problem in the church, and yes, in this church. And if you've been one who banters online, I've already unfollowed you anyway, so I haven't seen you, you know, in, in a long time, I promise you. Did I say that or think that? Here's what I want you to do. Seek peace, pursue peace. All right? You want to be blessed, right? The psalmist says, if you want to be blessed, seek peace and pursue it. That's verse 11. Look at your Facebook wall and ask the question to the Lord. Lord or to yourself? You don't even need the Lord's help on this one. You're smart enough to figure this out, I think. He's giving you a brain, right? Am I pursuing peace or am I stirring the pot? Folks, I've done it both ways. I've I've sought peace and I've been the one to stir the pot sometimes. I'll just, God help us. That does no good. There's a hurting world that needs Jesus. And those people who you're bashing because of their political views, they need the Lord. And you're not sending them to Jesus. You're pushing them further and further the other way. Love, peace, pursue it. Amen? I better move on. How do you stay loving in the midst of an overwhelmingly hateful world? Number one, cultivate a heart for God's people. Keep a tender heart. Number two, remember your calling. And finally, speak and walk in accordance with God's word. I want to close with a a quick story. This just so blessed me. Um, One of the families from our church contacted me last week to tell me of a situation that happened with her daughter. They were driving in Lexington. A little girl in the back seat says, Mama, did you see that homeless man on the side of the road? She says, yeah, honey, I I saw him. Well, Mom, can we help him? She says, well, honey, what, what would you like to do? She says, Mom, I'd like to give him a place to live. Well, where do you think we ought to put him up at? She said, if you would build me just maybe a room or a playhouse in the back, he could have my room. In light of this sermon, I thought about that over and over this week. Couldn't shake it. You know what this is? This is, I think, a seven-year-old little girl who has not been tainted by the hate out there yet. And hopefully she never will be. This is a little girl who has a tender heart, who just loves Jesus and just loves people. And she's not going, well, what if, what if he's not really homeless? What if he's just trying to pull one over on us? I'd rather err on the side of grace, wouldn't you? Here's somebody who's not engaged in the political war that's going on. Somebody just loves Jesus and loves people. That's the simplicity of what we're called to be and do. I don't see in, 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 the, in the Bible, and I look at the New Testament, I don't see these apostles getting you know, engaged in all this different political warfare. And that's just one example No, they just, in the midst of greater persecution than we will probably ever know, they're just faithful to love God and love people in church. This is who we want to be as real life community church. Not down on you today. I want to encourage you. This is the blessed life. If you're tired of being miserable and grumpy and toxic, repent. Repent and just say, Jesus, cultivate my heart. Keep it tender. Don't let it be influenced by the world around me. Let it be influenced by your word. And and when we do this, when we take this attitude, you know what? Great things are going to happen. Great things are going to happen. We're going to be able to radically love people in the midst of a really hateful world.